0: Hello again, my friends and welcome to episode 20 of my book review podcast, Unknown Friends. I'm your host Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wayne Productions and thanks so much for joining me for this week's book review. Since we hit 20 episodes this week, I've been thinking over the last several months and all the books I've discussed, and I'm just amazed at the diversity of themes represented in just these first 20 books, or technically uh, 22 books since I've done a couple of double episodes. I'm, I'm reminded of why I read in the first place. Reading develops my understanding, and my empathy and even my life experience in one sense because the great conversation of literature encompasses so many countless authors from different times places faiths uh, just so many thousands of lives that i am able to access between the covers of books every writer has their own perspective to add to the literary tradition and even within a single author's canon, each story represents a slightly different angle on life. So just looking back over the first 20 episodes of this podcast, no two books I've reviewed are redundant in their ideas or their, their outlook on life. We've explored family and fatherhood, uh, conscience, self-knowledge, communication, um, love, faith, duty, humor, and, and so much more. This is why I love stories, and this is why I read. I learn about myself and about others, about the world around me and the God who made it, hearing from the wisdom of so many generations who've gone before and put their thoughts and experiences into writing. So I just want to say thank you from my heart to all the writers who have gone before me, even though most of them have passed away, though I have reviewed a few books by living writers, but these stories enrich my life profoundly. And I hope they're enriching your lives as well, my listeners. Even if you don't have the time or necessarily the interest to read each one of them, I hope that my reviews can pass on to you some of the elements I most love about each of these books I discuss. So in today's episode, I am thrilled to share with you one of my favorite novels, by Jane Austen, though it's almost impossible to pick a favorite of her books. Today, I'm reviewing her 1811 novel, Sense and Sensibility. I don't have any uh, statistics or anything to back this up, but my general impression is that Austen's most popular novels among modern readers and, uh, and movie watchers are Pride and Prejudice, and Emma, and then her other four books are a bit less well-known. However, I imagine that Sense and Sensibility would rank probably as her third most popular after those two. Again, just a, a vague guess based mostly on conversations I've had and on the sheer number of film versions made of these three novels versus her other three. Now, personally, I love Pride and Prejudice, but I'm not as big a fan of Emma. Um, At least I certainly like Sense and Sensibility better. This is primarily because Sense and Sensibility, in my opinion, has a much more admirable heroine than Emma does. Anyway, that's beside the point. So I have already reviewed a Jane Austen novel on the podcast, episode seven when I and my sister Leray discussed Persuasion together, Jane Austen's last published novel. So I've mentioned before the basic details of Jane Austen's life. In a single sentence, in case you missed that episode or you have forgotten, Jane Austen lived in England from 1775 to 1817. She never married and she wrote six novels, of witty social commentary, along with some shorter and some unfinished works. Now, Sense and Sensibility was her first novel ever published. It came out in 1811, when she was in her mid-30s. And it was very successful. The first edition copies sold out in two years, and a second printing happened in 1813, And the book actually has never been out of print since it was first published. So for over two centuries now, this book has been in circulation. And although it came out in 1811, we believe that Jane Austen had begun an early draft of Sense and Sensibility all the way back in about 1795 or 96, when she was only about 20. In fact, several of her later novels, including uh, Pride and Prejudice and Northanger Abbey, originated from early drafts she wrote during this period in her early 20s. So when she first started the manuscript that became Sense and Sensibility, she began it as an epistolary novel, a novel entirely composed of letters between people, which was a very popular novel form in the 1700s. But as she reworked the story over several years, she eventually dropped that approach entirely. So, despite my theory that, for modern audiences, Sense and Sensibility is about the third most popular of Austen's works, I have seen critics argue that it is her youngest work and, therefore, it is more poorly crafted than any of her other books – I read specifically from one critic writing in 1965 who called this novel the least interesting of all her works. I object. Not because I think one of her other books is less interesting, but because I think every single one, including Sense and Sensibility, is utterly fascinating. None of her works is boring or simple, so it would be impossible for me to venture an opinion on which is the most boring or simple. They're not even on that scale at all, in my mind. Now, perhaps since Sense and Sensibility was Austen's first published novel, Literary critics who understand a great deal more than I can examine the details of the book and spot little weaknesses and ways in which Austen had room to grow over time with her subsequent novels, but I don't know about that. I think Sense and Sensibility is very strong, especially for a debut novel, and it was popular and well-received, and the thing is, by 1811, Austen had been writing for over 20 years— This was just the first time she had been published, so she had lots of experience and practice behind her already. She was not new to the craft at this point. But be that as it may, I should let the book make its own argument for its merits. Let me give you an overview of the story quickly, without giving away spoilers. Our central characters are the Dashwood sisters, the eldest Eleanor and her younger sister, Marianne. At the start of the story, their father has passed away, and due to the inheritance laws of England at the time, all his property goes not to his wife and daughters, but to his adult son, John Dashwood, the child of a previous marriage. John is married to a self-centered, manipulative woman named Fanny, who comes from the wealthy Ferrars family. Now, when the older Mr. Dashwood dies, he begs his son, John, to care for his stepmother and stepsisters, who will be left behind with very little to live on. And since John is quite well off already, especially since he has access to his wife's money as well, he readily promises to help the Dashwood girls. But his wife, Fanny, being the greedy, rather heartless woman that she is cunningly persuades John that the mother and daughters don't need his financial assistance after all, and John is weak and selfish enough himself that, in the end, he gives them no help at all, and essentially turns them out of their own house. But before Mrs. Dashwood and her daughters are forced to leave what is now John and Fanny's home, Fanny receives a long visit from her brother Edward Ferrars, who turns out to be quite unlike his sister, thankfully. Edward is humble and thoughtful of others, and he soon becomes a good friend to Mrs. Dashwood, Eleanor, and Marianne, especially to Eleanor. Let me tell you a little bit about her so that you can see that she and Edward have quite a bit in common. Eleanor is a responsible and dutiful young woman and in many ways a rock for her more um, emotional mother and sister Marianne. Eleanor is practical and logical while also being sensitive to others and wise, not just in, in pragmatic matters, but also in relationships. So while she's sensible, she's not, uh, coldly fixated on structure and restraint. She is artistic, for instance, she has a talent for drawing, and she's warm and generous as a sister and a daughter and a friend. By the way, total side note, but this is something that I think influences the way that I perceive the whole novel. I I love Eleanor. I relate to her. Well, I guess in some ways I'm a lot like her and in some ways I aspire to be like her. But uh this this kind of makes me laugh. My sister and I used to take these uh like Jane Austen character personality tests. Or at least we did one time, I don't remember exactly. But I do remember my uh, quiz results or whatever identified me as more like Eleanor Dashwood than any of Austen's other heroines. And I mean, if an online quiz gave me that result, then it's obviously accurate, right? <laughs> but regardless of the authority or lack thereof of personality tests, I do see in Eleanor's character a lot of elements I see in myself, uh, both strengths and weaknesses. And so I think that does give me a special fondness for her and for this novel in particular. But be that as it may, back to the book's plot summary. So Eleanor and Edward Ferris have a lot in common, and are well matched, they feel drawn to one another. but somewhat to Eleanor's surprise, nothing more than a friendship really develops. Anyway, soon Mrs. Dashwood and her daughters must leave their home, which has been taken over by John and Fanny. And the Dashwoods fortunately find a cottage owned by a distant cousin, Sir John Middleton, who offers for them to stay there. So they move to Barton Cottage they become friends with the Middleton family and other uh, local residents. And then one day, Eleanor's younger sister, Marianne, finds her own uh, romantic interest. Now, let me quickly sketch Marianne's character for you. If you don't already know or haven't already guessed from the title, as Eleanor, to some extent, embodies sense or uh, prudence, wisdom, etc., So Marianne embodies sensibility. Now, sensibility isn't a word we use very often these days, but essentially it means emotion or emotionality, the the characteristic of feeling things deeply and being guided by passions as opposed to reason. And this is an apt description of Marianne. She is passionate. She's romantic and moody in the sense that when she's happy or excited, she is just on top of the world. Or when she's disappointed or angry, she feels like she's in the depths of despair and no rational argument can free her from her mood of sadness. Now with her emotionality comes an intense warmth of character. She is fiercely loyal to those she loves, and she is stubbornly firm in her beliefs and her opinions. She's expressive, and artistic. She loves poetry, and she plays the piano beautifully. But ultimately, her weakness is that she puts all her confidence in feelings and resists what she sees as restraints. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But after the Dashwoods move to Barton Cottage, Marianne meets young Mr. Willoughby, and he meets all her criteria for an eligible suitor. He's romantic, and he's enthusiastic about life. His opinions seem to match all of Marianne's own. And so very quickly, the whole neighborhood assumes that Willoughby and Marianne are engaged or will be very soon. Now, all I have given you so far is the plot's setup and a few of the central characters. The story goes on to develop in so many unexpected ways. Both sisters are severely tested. Mysteries, from the past emerge to twist the plot in different ways, and um, several other crucial characters enter the story who complicate things. Um, you have the the gracious but enigmatic Colonel Brandon, and young Miss Lucy Steele, who is obsequious and uh, conniving, and so many others. There is just nothing bland or boring about this novel. And the themes are at least as complex as the plot. The title, Sense and Sensibility, makes it sound like this story comprises a a simple dichotomy, reason versus passion. Eleanor represents reason, Marianne represents passion, and so which one will prove to be the better approach to life? On the surface, sure, that's kind of the structure of the book's main theme, But it is so much more than that. There are nuances here. First of all, Eleanor is not pure sense, nor is Marianne pure sensibility. Real people don't exist that way, and neither do Jane Austen's characters. Both girls are a mix. Eleanor feels things strongly, she has ideals, she's absolutely subject to emotion. Um, And she cares deeply about those she loves. You know, it's funny to me, but she falls in love right at the start of the novel with Edward, whereas Marianne doesn't meet her match for quite a long time. And Marianne has some sense, despite her protests against uh, cold logic. But she is intelligent, um, and she certainly abides by a firm moral code. So you can't reduce either girl to one quality. They're both complex. And secondly, the contrast here, sense versus sensibility, often gets slanted. I think in part because neither of those words is used today exactly like they were used in Jane Austen's time. And this contrast has been misconstrued sometimes by critics and readers to mean something more like, um, society's conventions versus independence or um, or restraints versus freedom. So in other words, some readers are critical of Eleanor, feeling that she is too um, tied up in the constraints of social norms, too accepting of them. So Eleanor needs to learn to give in to emotion more and, you know, break free from social conventions. And I guess Marianne needs to Calm down a little and, and learn more about the realities of life. But this interpretation unbalances Austin's carefully formed contrast here. Yes, Eleanor urges propriety on her sometimes thoughtless younger sister, but Eleanor does not blindly accept all social norms, some she explicitly rejects. And Marianne, ironically, Although she claims not to care what people think of her, she claims she's only guided by her own feelings and thoughts, yet she buys into more social conventions than you'd expect. There's this revealing little conversation in the middle of the novel where the two sisters mention their views on income and what would suffice for a comfortable living. And Marianne unwittingly reveals that her ideas of comfort are on a grander scale than Eleanor's. And Eleanor then remarks that Marianne's idea of a competence matches Eleanor's idea of wealth. And this is just one example of the ways that Marianne has actually accepted more of society's views on wealth and happiness and relationships than Eleanor has. And while you'd think, and Marianne herself thinks, that her you know, genuine, heartfelt approach to life would allow her more intimacy in her relationships, over time, what we eventually realize is that Eleanor, steady, level-headed, selfless Eleanor, actually understands the people around her far better than Marianne does. Eleanor even knows Marianne better than Marianne knows herself. So, so what I'm trying to say is the notion that freedom and intimacy and honesty are all on Marianne's side, on the side of sensibility, is simply false. Nor are boundaries or social conventions all on the side of sense. These elements are all surprisingly intermixed. And so to understand Jane Austen's actual dichotomy between sense and sensibility, you have to watch very closely how she develops these two characters, Eleanor and Marianne, throughout the novel, how they change or don't change, what results from each of their choices, and how Austen concludes the story. Ultimately, what she is lifting up for us to see is the beauty and the joy of a restrained life. Remember, restraint And freedom are not opposites. We talked about this with um, with Chesterton two weeks ago. He wrote that limits are the lines of the very plan of human pleasure. So Jane Austen shows us the beauty of a life restrained by care for others and by a commitment to what is right. That kind of restraint contains the very plan of human pleasure. It is a boundary that enables what's inside of it to flourish and to accomplish the end for which it was created. Like uh, like a glass that contains water or a house that contains a family. Those are necessary and beautiful boundaries. So I can't really pursue the themes more than that because you've got to read the book yourself and observe what happens with these characters and their lives to really understand what Jane Austen is doing. But obviously, I recommend this book. It is far, miles and miles away from being uninteresting or uncomplicated. There's a lot to chew on here, um, and I hardly scratched the surface. I hope you'll read Sense and Sensibility if you haven't already, and I'd love to hear your thoughts if you do. If you're interested in a film adaptation of this book, of which there are several, I have to put in a plug for the 2008 BBC miniseries as opposed to the well-known 1995 film version, which starred um, Emma Thompson and Kate Winslet and Hugh Grant and Alan Rickman. They're all great actors in their own ways, but I don't think any of them was right for the part they played. And more importantly, that film gets the book's theme backwards. It's subtly done, but in reality, the whole point of the book is turned upside down, which is very frustrating. Plus, that version is just just too short. It cuts out some characters and some scenes, which I think loses some of the nuances of the story and some humor and depth. So I'm not much of a fan of the 1995 film. However, Andrew Davies wrote the screenplay for the 2008 TV miniseries, and I love his version. Andrew Davies has adapted several of my favorite novels into some of my favorite movies. He did the 1995 BBC Pride and Prejudice. He did Charles Dickens's Bleak House. And Little Dorrit, which are both fantastic miniseries. So he's a great writer, and at least in his films that I have seen, he does a good job remaining faithful to the source material. So his 2008 version of Sense and Sensibility, I would recommend. It's well written, well cast, and acted, and filmed, and it is actually remarkably short considering how much justice it did to the book. I want to say it's around three hours long, I think. Obviously, the very best option is to read the book, but then after you read it, if you want to visualize the story, watch the BBC miniseries. Now, let's make this interactive instead of just me giving my opinion on Austen's work. I would love to hear from you, and I've got a simple question for you. Which is your favorite of Jane Austen's novels and why? You can directly message me on social media. Just find Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions on either Facebook or Instagram and send me your answer there. Or you can email me at kittywham, that's K-I-T-T-Y-W-H-A-M, at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you about your favorite Austin novel, and as always, if you have a book or author to suggest for me to review in a future episode, please feel free to share your recommendation as well. Looking ahead in episode 21, coming next Wednesday, September 9th, I will be reviewing a novel called The Chosen, written by Chaim Potok and published in 1967. This is a fascinating story about the friendship between two American Jewish boys at the end of World War II. And I'm very much looking forward to sharing more about that next week. So I'll see you then, and thank you so much for listening.